to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast, the Code of Ethical Conduct for Agile Coaching series. Today's episode features Georgina Pulley and Mishkin Bertag, together with host Leslie Morse. Georgina has an expansive 20-year global IT career, having worked in Australia, London and the US in IT, telecommunications, banking, sales and marketing. She specializes in designing agile enterprise organizations by bringing together design, development, and go-to-market teams to operate seamlessly. She also enjoys being an executive strategic advisor and coach. An agile pioneer and certified scrum trainer, Mishkin co-founded Bertag, Transforming Work Environments. Now, as the CEO of MaxGood.Work, he merges human potential and artificial intelligence. In this episode, host Leslie Morse chats to Georgina and Mishkin about Section 8 of the Code of Ethical Conduct, which is managing differences in status and power. Thank you for tuning in to the Women in Agile podcast. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Georgina and Mishkin. Hello, Georgina. Hello, Mishkin. Thank you for being with me today. Hey, thanks for having thanks. us. Yeah, you yeah. good to be here. I am looking forward to unpacking Commitment 8 from the Agile Coaching uh, Code of Ethics, which is Managing Differences in Status and Power. I'll go ahead and read that code or that commitment for the code here, and then we'll get into the conversation. So managing differences in status and power. I will not use my positional authority, power, or influence to achieve personal gain or undermine the goals of my client. I will create awareness when power, privilege, and rank are impeding my client's goals or my ability to serve them effectively. That sounds really big and that there could be a lot at stake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there definitely is, Leslie. Um, But I I, I think before we get into it and talking about um, status and power, I think it's I just want to pause for a minute and acknowledge today, being August 28th, uh, 60 years ago, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. uh, had a very powerful speech and he's had very powerful actions and um, he was recognised as uh, in status formally when he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964. His march today is significant, not just for this topic, but for our future and our progress in life. So I want to just pause for a moment and reflect on this very special day. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so, yeah. Um, well, I'm really, I'm really pleased you did that, Georgina, and, and, and I know I'm interrupting for a second. There's... Um, the world we live in, how status and power shows up is a much bigger topic than just an agile coaching code of ethics, right? The way people are marginalized and discriminated against, right? It's one of the reasons women in agile org exists around greater equity in the workplace. So like we, I think it is important to recognize the topic of status and power is much bigger than what we will dig into today in this episode, and that we are coming to it from that perspective of practicing agile coaching ethically. Um, And so some people could get triggered with some things that we say today, and it could, when you're listening to this and chatting with colleagues, bring up much bigger, deeper topics of how they impact your organizational culture. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, we need to have a deeper conversation around this. I think as an agile coach and an agile community, we've avoided really having a conversation and, and about it because it's di difficult. It's awkward. We want to always talk about the nice stuff, but it's the hard stuff in our role that uh, we really need to get underneath. And I think when we talk about ethics in general, the best we've got today is if you're a part of a company or an organisation, it's a standard business conduct guidelines thing that you do annually and it's really a legal issue versus something that we're incorporating into our retrospectives. I mean, we're, th these things are showing up daily. So how do we really talk about them and unpack them becomes critical to our growth and also the integrity of our profession, right, uh, across the board, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of thought process, it doesn't matter. Integrity is what keeps us together. And what was interesting about this particular topic, I really looked at, you know, agile, the manifesto and values, which is the foundation for good ethics. And the values are very high level. They're, they're about interactions with teams and, and people and over process. But it doesn't talk about kindness. It doesn't talk about trust. It doesn't talk about openness and respect. These values are assumed. They're personal values, or at least we hope they are. And then you've got the work values that are enforced. But do we line up? And so this is where the ethics question, especially around power and status, can come undone or it can stick together. It's one of those things. So having this conversation is what I'm excited about today. And on this powerful day, talking about power and status, it couldn't be more perfect. So thanks for having us. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. And I, I just want to also thank you, Georgina, for raising up the the significance of this date. Um, I'm based in Canada. And of course, that was an, a, a quote unquote, an American thing, but it also had a huge international impact. And <clears throat> that reminds me of one of the, I guess, kind of questions that this section of the code of ethics brings up, which is about the the universality of ethics or the lack thereof. You know, we when we look internationally, there's so many different cultures. And I think we we tend to come from when we're talking about agile coaching, we come from a fairly Western business perspective about what ethics should be like. And having traveled globally, um, I've had a teeny bit of firsthand experience with the diversity of ethics <laughs> that's out there in terms of business if we're not talking about Western uh, environments. And so just because, because it seems apropos, I'd really love to commend to all the listeners a, a really interesting book about ethics um, that I read a couple years ago called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. Um, that's H-A-I-D-T. And uh, fantastic, fantastic look at uh, ethics 
with a very clear framework that I think helps to expand our minds a little bit beyond um, what we see in the in the immediate stuff in the agile coach uh, code of ethics. But nevertheless, those those questions of power and authority are absolutely crucial. And we don't I agree completely. We don't talk about them enough and we don't create transparency around them enough. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's always useful to sort of root conversations and examples and ideas. And so when I think about why managing differences in status and power ended up in the Agile Coaching Code of Ethics, like, are, do you both have or, or one of you have a good example of where you've seen status and power used unethically or shown up in damaging and harmful ways in the Agile context that could sort of root us in like, and this is why we need this commitment? Yeah, I, I have a story. And it is, again, this is a difficult conversation to have and something that I haven't really shared openly before, but I think it's important to know that we go through it in different ways. This agile coaching, it's not necessarily, and there's some examples on the uh, agile alliance around agile coaching and the coachee situation. What I'm going to talk about is agile coaches and in a structure that is a traditional management structure where you're not a contractor in but you actually belong to a corporation and you, you've got a hierarchy there there are some agile coaches in fact a team of them that reported to a manager who was also an agile coach so you've got this team of coaches and uh, a situation arose where um, in the delivery of a large scale transformation that a relationship had struck between the manager and a peer in the reporting line. And the peer had a really powerful, um, influential role in that she helped craft and create content for education that was going to be in front of hundreds of thousands of people. And that peer, uh, you know, that kind of role gives you a lot of visibility to upline management. The two teamed up but got, and that was fine, but got close when a personal situation happened to the manager. And in those moments of that closeness, the remainder of the Agile coaches almost started to fade away. Priorities were reset. They were given more to the peer who's not an Agile coach, but then we were expected to look at the delivery within that group. And um, it was a very difficult situation to navigate and coach coaches through this uh, turmoil um, because once word gets out like that and trust is broken down, opportunities aren't there for agile coaches also trying to uh, elevate their career. And in those moments, tension builds. And that tension and mistrust gets reflected, no matter how professional you are, 
uh, can get reflected in teams and the delivery of that particular content. And even though as coaches we're all professionals and we coach each other and we coach people that are not in our group, the community um, and and how to, um, I guess, how to approach it amongst ourselves becomes really, really difficult. And the coaching practices that we have can almost just fly out the window in those moments. So working and navigating through that while having conversations with the manager, having conversations with the peer, having conversations with the senior executives in charge, nothing happened. So as a result of that, people get very disgruntled and leave and change because their values have been broken and damaged to a point there is a point of no recovery. And I think that's okay because at the end of the day, you have to live with you. Nobody else has to live with you, but you do. You have to go to peace at night. So you know, these, you know, sexual or relationships or friendships, um, whatever form they are, like uh, tribes that group together that can't see beyond their immediate sort of space, it can be very damaging. I really appreciate that you bring this personal lens to it because oftentimes I think it's easy to think about how structure and hierarchy and that very industrial mindset is what gets abused or I'm going to go climb over the shoulders of my colleagues so I can be the one that gets the promotion or manipulate my client into doing something so I can use it in a conference presentation. But Status and power doesn't come only through the work context. The social fabric of our communities brings a often non-transparent set of status and power that we also have to be navigating in our day-to-day work. Yes. I couldn't agree more. I think it's, it's, it's something that I think when you start as a coach, you, there's a bit of naivety in there. You go in there and you think, oh, um, this is going to be great. We're going to sort of pull together. You're actually with other coaches that have the same mindset. So, you know, it. I think you can't go in any situation blindly. I think the review of the values is not just a recital. It's not something that we just roll off the tip of our tongue and yay team we're part of that it's how you live them and it's through the actions that make the difference right which action are you going to choose to take and if you make a mistake it's okay we shouldn't rush to judgment it's navigating through that and then trying to make the change and when the change isn't possible it's okay. I think you need to accept that and and move on from that and learn from it. I have a similar kind of conclusion about moving on. Um, you know, I, I, I was thinking about examples for this and 
very uh, close to me is the fact that I am in a position of power as a business owner with employees. And I'm also in a position of lack of power in relation to clients. And <clears throat> this has created some interesting circumstances exacerbated by the fact that I'm really terrible at detecting the subtleties of politics and communication in organizations. Um, I have ADHD and I'm probably on the autism spectrum. And that, that puts a lens on my ability to understand what's going on in these human dynamics. So I was working with a, a really fantastic client a couple years ago and the the way that the the engagement moved is that it started to go bad and i knew it was going bad but i couldn't quite figure out why and I, honestly to this day i still am not really sure but the the reality is is that as an employer i had people working with the client and i had to make some really tough decisions about hey am i going to am i going to try and like do this the way the client wants, which may not match with what I think is best with, which may not match with the skill set of the people that I have on board with the client and so on and so forth. Ultimately, um, the hard decision within consultation with my team was to fire the client and to say, we can't work there anymore because it's for whatever reason, it's just not right. But but it was, you know, this situation where by by firing the client, I actually was affecting the livelihoods of people in the real world. And, you know, one person was indeed let go from my team as a result of that. Very, very hard decisions and frustrating to be in those situations. But as Georgina was saying, they come up and sometimes you, you don't even necessarily know for sure if you've done the right thing after the fact, but you do the best you can. You, you look at the, the personal set of ethics, but also you look at the, the relationships that you have and the community that you're serving. And that's not just clients. It's not just your coaches, but it also might be, for example, your family, right? Are you serving your family effectively or in my case, my my employees. Um, <clears throat> so I think I and and then of course also as a business owner, but but as a as a person employed because I've done that too. Um, there's always an aspect of personal gain that we're constantly kind of considering, right? Like, am I going to get fired? Um, am I going to get a promotion? Am I going to get a raise? Am I going to be able to find the next client? And that, that dynamic, I don't think it can be ignored that, that we, we have to create systems and structures and expectations where we acknowledge that people legitimately need personal gain. And, and so it, it's a really interesting challenge to kind of say, well, I will not use my positional authority, power, influence to achieve personal gain, but 
at some level, everyone, I, I don't mean it in a selfish sense, but everyone needs personal gain, right? Like it, growth. Um, so I, I, I just find that there's a little bit of a paradox in this one as well, right? Yeah, that and I tweaks my interest. Sorry. No, I was going to say, I think that's a really, really good thought process. You know, I kept hearing as you're talking the sense of purpose. I mean, you can gain power through purpose. If the purpose is clear, it's a self-fulfilling power. And that's what I meant about earlier, like, can you go to bed with yourself at night? Did I self-fulfill my duty? Yes, I can gain power through, you know, X, Y, and Z at work. But do I feel satisfied? I think this, the why, the purpose, that's what fuels us, I think, to make the right decisions. And it's it's grounded in our values. Yeah, what's you're you're both doing a wonderful job of highlighting how any given commitment in the code can't doesn't stand by itself. The interdependence and the way that ways that these work together yes. are so important, right? But the interdependence of these commitments is so important in that, like when I was listening to the two of you talking, I heard aspects of navigating conflicts of interest, right? I heard, especially here in the end, about ensuring value in the relationship. One of the, the, the key markers in there being not building codependence or extending the relationship unnecessarily when I'm not truly adding value. So if you have purpose and you have value at the center of all of this, right, which brings me right also to like that very first principle that goes along with the Agile Manifesto, our highest priority is to satisfy the customer. How? Through the early and continuous delivery of value, right? That it puts that at the center po point of the work that we're doing. And yeah. I'll use this again as the reminder of it's not just people with the title or the role agile coach. Anyone can engage in the activities of agile coaching and that agile coaching is more than professional coaching, right? It is a collection of skills and techniques and interventions we may use in serving individuals, teams, and organizations, whether we're an employee or a for hire person that's in there working with you all. So I, I think you both did a really lovely job of highlighting a lot of the complexity of how we're upping our game as those who practice agile coaching to be more professional, to have more integrity and all of these things that it's like the next coming of age and the next generation of how we're going to uncover better ways of creating thriving agile environments in our world. Right. And I believe that, you know, agile coaches or, you know, you know, agile leaders, um, they have such an influential power. So yeah, you could appear on an org chart, maybe lower down in the, the, the supposed ranks, but your knowledge, people turn to you because they're looking for knowledge, you're looking for guidance. And they probably turn to you more often than within the structure. Um, and as an Agile coach, we we also are privileged to private conversations, which we should nurture and protect. But at some point we have to, through surveys, we have to show the lay of the land, we have to show our results of how we've moved the needle in the right direction. 
So when you have knowledge about the heartbeat of an organisation, and you may have a leader that does not have that same feel, they rely on the HR survey that comes out and whatever somebody decides to flare up and say, and then they're like, oh, they've got a nugget or no, they don't have something. We actually know a lot more. And that gives us a power that if misused can really derail the progress of any transformation effort or any movement in the direction of the goals of the business. And so we have to walk a very fine line with our own power so that we are not alienating anybody or giving a threat even if it's an accidental, you'll you'll sort of judge it by how the other person is responding to the information you're providing. Um, so it's a it's a very fine line. You can be down a slippery slope real fast. And I think that's where a community like this becomes very important. I think not just the Agile Alliance and other organisations, but the women's network because I think uh, women really have a different um, sort of way to have to navigate through some of these murky waters. Um, and we really do need to pull together as a community. And, and I was just going to say one little fun fact was this summer uh, in my book club, we we read a book, Lessons in Chemistry. Are you familiar with that, Leslie? No. <laughs> it's by um, Bonnie Garmus. Uh, I hope I pronounced her name correctly. But it is, for all the women in Agile out there, and even for the guys, you should read this um, book. It, it's, a, it's a fun novel. I'm not going to give things away, but uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it absolutely captures the essence of power and status even around knowledge in a profession which happens to be chemistry in this case. And it's a story about this woman's struggle working as a chemist in the 1950s and you can just imagine it uh what that could be like I'm not going to spoil it for everybody but it's well worth a read because I think it really captures the heart of this particular topic yeah well I think there's a a great gateway into unpacking uh the second point around this commitment in here Georgina which is the I will create awareness when power privilege and rank are impeding my client's goals or my ability to serve them effectively. And I think about, right, so much of the work we do in this agile ecosystem is knowledge work, right? And so, wow, there's that lead architect who's hoarding all the knowledge (laughs) and that's how they gain their power. But we need that knowledge to be infused across the team because if said architect is on vacation or gets hit by the lottery and never comes back, we have to still be able to continue yet. So it's like it's reflecting and making that transparent and how it's holding the client back as well as let's get curious about what's going on in our organizational culture, our human resources practices and other things that are incenting said architect to hoard the knowledge, right? And so it really becomes not only conversations about individuals and interactions, but a conversation at the systemic level around what's inviting people to act in those ways that may inhibit our agility. Right. And if you think about that example, imagine the team of eight to 10 turning up when you're doing like a 
a, a session and um, there's somebody holding, like the architect, the one team member holding that information. I mean, right there as a coach, as a scrum master, whatever role you play, that is now a power struggle. I've got something you want and I'm not going to give it to you. Or I'm going to hold on to it. What do you do with that? And this is where team retrospectives become very important, not to call out the individual, but to call out the need of the value that everybody provides. And as a team, how that value is, is going to contribute to those business outcomes, those goals that we're signing up for. And it's that sort of peer pull, I think, that then shifts the power dynamic to more of a centerpiece versus somebody owning it and having the team completely off balance. Wow. Michigan, yeah. what are the, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I wanted to build on this a little bit and maybe say something a bit provocative here too, which is that um, when we talk about knowledge ownership and the power that comes with either keeping that knowledge uh, sort of hidden and, you know, the, the flow of it restricted, one of the things that I have always worried about, and by always, I mean, since I was a little kid, is the concept of certification or uh, accreditation or recognition as the creation of a power imbalance. And so, and that can apply to agile coaches themselves, right? Like as soon as I take on the title agile coach, whether it's legitimized by a certification or not, um, <clears throat> I take on some power and I, you know, I do that deliberately to set myself apart, right? There, there's, there's the idea that when we, when we create that label or that identity, we are, we are deliberately setting ourselves apart. And so I'm generally like, perhaps ironically, because I'm a certified scrum trainer, perhaps ironically, I'm legitimately against certifications. I, I have always chafed at the idea of licensing bodies and certification bodies and stuff like that, because I, I feel like they create um, unhealthy imbalances for the most part. Um, so I, I fear a little bit the creation of an agile coaching code of ethics, because that's one of the steps towards the creation of a licensing scheme, right? Like it, it's, it's a very, it, it's not happening yet, but I, you know, my, my kind of rebellious brain is like, you know, as soon as you impose a structure, you create power and you de-democratize something. Um, so, you know, that this is, this is one of those things where I, I'm also absolutely fascinated by the emergence of these AI large language models as a counterbalance to that. Because when I started looking at these things about a year ago, I realized that my, my, my time as an agile coach is severely limited, that these AI tools are now powerful enough that the knowledge component of being an agile coach is effectively fully 
100% democratized. There is no, there is nothing that I know, nothing that I know as an agile coach that isn't in these systems and easily available to anyone else. There are some, some barriers still, right? Like there's technology barriers, there's, you know, how do you ask the right questions kind of barriers and stuff like that. So it's not, it's not perfect, but I would, I would kind of challenge people in the agile coaching sphere to think deeply about whether knowledge is really something that makes you an agile coach or whether it's something else, right? Yeah. Which is right. Like the, the power of your ability to have effective relationships, to reflect back to people, the essence of what's going on, whether that's an emotional or dynamic or whatever it happens to be. I, I don't think knowledge is going to be a big part of agile coaching in the near future just for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. And, and I love that juxtaposition of how do we see knowledge hoarding in terms of business operations and business practices and things that may be going on in the system versus the knowledge and power of those practicing agile coaching and the interplay of those, I think is, is really interesting. And, and I also work in my day job for a large certification um, organization in our world and have similar feelings about certification. Um, the, I just want to, I'm curious how you all think of um, the difference of a person who has trained versus a person who is coaching, right? I was in plenty of those situations where my colleague, and we'll in this instance call him you know, Dave, Dave taught the agile boot camp four-day class that these people went to you know, three weeks ago, but Dave had another client he needed to go work with. So I've come in and I'm helping in the, in the capacity of coaching the organization on the adoption of what they learned in that training. And so that becomes, well, Leslie, that's not what Dave said. And it's like that, that interplay of just because he had the power and privilege in the classroom as the trainer, the trainer, and whether it's certified or not, has positional authority over the coach or the things that we unfortunately do to ourselves, the shadow side of where we are in the agile industry, um, where we've created false hierarchy. It's like, oh, you're a scrum master. You just work with the team. I'm an agile team coach. They're an agile program coach. You're an agile portfolio coach. You're an executive coach or an enterprise coach in this absolutely unnecessary status and power and influence that we've created for ourselves for likely unnecessary yet unnecessary personal gain. Um, it's a really, it's a, it's a fascinating sociological dynamic, but as we start to wrap up today, I want to, I want to make sure we give people some practical ideas, tips, tricks, and things to think about as it comes to putting this commitment of the code into practice, right? So managing differences in status and power, there's that internal perspective. I will not use those things for personal gain or undermining the client. And then the second half, it's like, I'm going to reflect that when I see this happening other places. So what what ideas, tips, practical ideas do y'all have for people really bringing this to life in their day-to-day? -day? My practical idea is very simple. Every stand-up 
if there is an issue, like just looking at boundaries and process and people like to work within those um, is to bring it into the day-to-day work. And then when you have a retrospective, incorporate some elements around team integrity, um, the trust and respect within that team and what did that look like. I think it's a real simple thing to do but obtainable. Uh, And I think you have to start small. It doesn't have to be big. It has to be that point of reflection. I'm a big fan of retrospectives, if you couldn't tell. But I think that's where you can really, as a coach, reflect on yourself in your role with the team at that point as well. So share. Yeah, and I think I, my suggestion would be a little bit more academic and long-term, but I think that there's a real dearth of deep understanding about ethical and moral philosophy and that people talking about ethics ought to take the time to do some research and self-education because it's often way more subtle or more complex than we imagine. It's very easy to have confirmation bias about our own personal set of ethics. This is the right way to do things. Of course, I, I, I'm experienced, I know, and and yet there's been literally uh, hundreds of thousands of person hours put into thinking about these things and summarized in fantastic form and, you know, probably a few key books that I think would be worth worth looking at. Um, But really any self-education in that would be an excellent step. I also think we should listen to the podcast <laughs> right there. Just get the conversation going. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think I mentioned this in, in another of the episodes that I, I had the, the privilege of recording around the code was like, if you work in a group of agile coaches, do a podcast club around it where like, you know, before our next, you know, community of practice meeting or whatever you call it, let's listen to this episode and then let's talk about it Um, in the same way that you might book club something. Because I think for for me, it is the practical, like just bringing it into that day-to-day conversation, Georgina, kind of how you're saying, maybe not through the context of a daily scrum or something like that, but just practicing talking about it um, helps reduce the edginess of having difficult conversations, yep. um, is so important. And then you know, I've done my own work, um, through CRR global and or score organization and relationship systems coaching. One of the tools we learn in that is called paper constellations, which is a way of drawing a human system in a way that can let you objectively visualize uh, the, the relationships and potential power dynamics of a system. And with a highly skilled, you know, facilitator doing that in a way where everybody on an agile team or sets of agile teams, draw their own paper constellation, get it up on the wall, make it transparent. Then it's something we can actually talk about because transparency really is key here in the way that we can't incrementally iterate towards value creation, unless that value is made transparent, we can't incrementally reduce the impact of status and power on our systems unless we first make that transparent. And that can be really uncomfortable. So like 
you know, that's a, a tool that I would use in this situation um, and have used in different sorts of ways around that. So, yeah, so many think, things, so many options. Yeah, I was going to say this constant thought of practice, 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 even to be quiet and listen and observe how people respond to the information that you're sharing with them. I, I won't be able to see people, this is podcast and their responses, but I think just taking a step back and looking at it, just like you'd mentioned, um, is really important. Um, Which is also another commitment in the code, by right. the way. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. So listen, thanks both of you for being here with me today. Before we really do wrap up, final thoughts on ethics in general or this specific commitment? Well, I'll just say it's been a real honor to participate and I'm very grateful to be invited. And, you know, this is this is a really critical topic, like all the other parts of the um, code of ethics. So I, I just, you know, I want to encourage everyone to, you know, follow up on those practical things that uh, Georgina and I mentioned and Leslie as well. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I just want to say thanks. I mean, when it, my journey started by helping to participate under Craig Smith and to um, write part of this code and, you know, it's really opened up a conversation we really haven't had before. This is a first and I'm really excited about what the groundwork has laid and what the future will bring. I'm so very thrilled. Thank you. And thank both, thanks to both of you for being with me today. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedules to, to dig into this topic. I think it's important um, and to share your knowledge and wisdom with our listeners. All right. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. <laughs>